It's so great to be here with you all. It's also so interesting to hear yourself on the microphone for the first time. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here and super thankful to have the opportunity to, to speak today. Um, and I just wanted to mention that part of the reason that I had the opportunity, some of you all may not know, that uh, Pastor West spent this week uh, at a PhD seminar in North Carolina. Um, some of you all may know that he's been pursuing a PhD since, I think, this past fall, right? Uh, and so he had one of his seminars this week and uh, has been working very hard in his studies. And uh, that's part of why I had the opportunity to, to speak today, because um, he's been working hard all week. And so I wanted to mention that because I know for me, and I hope for most of us, I know that I'm very thankful to have uh, a pastor that is continuing to challenge himself and to grow in the knowledge of the word, is humble and is not staying complacent, because <clears throat> that gives me a lot of uh, confidence to be led by such a pastor. And so I just want to say thank you, Pastor West, for your, your faithful ministry to the word and for the opportunity to, to speak today. So thank you. And I'm really excited to be here. So we are, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, for those who may not know me or uh, who are visiting, my name is Adam Pace. Uh, I am the youth ministry intern here at Crosspoint. And uh, today we're going to be taking a short break from our typical uh, study, typically studying through the book of Exodus. And we're going to go all the way to the other side of the Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> so as y'all are turning there, uh, just by show of hands, has anyone heard the expression, life is short? Life is short. I think most of us, right? I know for me, uh, I've, it's something I've heard since I was very young, since I was growing up. And at that time, and perhaps some of our kids and youth can relate to this, it's not something I really paid much attention to or even believed was true. At that time, I felt like that life was quite long uh, and, and almost dragged in some ways. And it's kind of year after year, the next grade, the next grade, always looking ahead to, to graduating uh, and not wanting to be in school and, and all these things. So life did not feel short in any way. But something interesting happened as, as I got older, um, you know, 18, going to college, and I started noticing that each year felt a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And I remember having a conversation with my grandmother about this. And I shared what I just shared with y'all, that, that each year feels a little bit faster. And she told me, yeah, it never slows down. And some of you adults maybe can relate to this as well, that every single year feels faster. And this is really important, I think, because we can very easily look back on our lives if we're not careful and think, where did it go? And that's not something I want for any of us. But it's something I think that we are very, very vulnerable to. And if we're not careful, we can, we can very easily waste most, if not all, of this life. Because I think that especially in times where, when we're young or when we're older and we're suffering, <clears throat> it can be easy to, or difficult rather, to see beyond what's happening right now. And with that, it's very easy to miss just how, how short this life is and how vast eternity is. And that's something I hope in our text today that we're going to learn and to be able to see, how do we live in light of eternity? How do we live with an eternal mindset that is focused on what is to come, the coming glory that we are to have in Christ? Because we can very easily miss this. And I believe that the Lord is calling us to live in a very specific way uh, in the very short life that we have. And so my hope today and prayer today is that this is something that the Lord would reveal to us and that he would use to help us to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so we're going to be reading once again from 2 Peter chapter 3. This is going to be the whole chapter. Um, so if you're there, um, would you all stand with me as we read God's word? 
This is 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation." just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege it is to gather here as a church body. It's always a great, bless <clears throat> a great blessing to be able to be here uh, as fellow believers worshiping you, Lord. And we pray now that you would, you would be first and foremost glorified um, in what you would have us to learn, that you would set our hearts and minds upon you, that you would speak, that it would be your words that speak, not mine, and that ultimately you would lead us toward Christ. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't be seated. Okay. So there's three main things that I hope that we'll be able to see today about how we live in light of eternity. And I would encourage you all to keep your, keep your texts open to 2 Peter, because we're going to be looking, referencing and looking back at it a lot. Um, so the first thing that we see Peter encouraging us to do is continually remember. That's our first point. Continually remember. So look again at verses 1 and 2 to start. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he starts out this section by encouraging his readers to remember two key things, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through the apostles. Well, of course, in order for us to remember those things, we have to know what they are. So why don't we start with the second one? A little bit easier. <clears throat> we know, of course, our Lord and Savior. Probably the easiest one is knowing that he is, of course, Jesus. And we see that this is a command that Jesus gave his apostles 
that they are in turn giving to others, to even to us. So what could this be? Well, there's a central teaching throughout all of, all, all of Jesus' teachings. Uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, it tells us that shortly after Jesus was tempted uh, by the devil and learned that John the Baptist had been arrested, he began his ministry. Listen to the first thing that we hear Jesus say in Matthew when he begins his ministry. This is Matthew 4.17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the central theme out of all of Jesus' teachings. He tells us to repent of our sin and believe and trust in him for our salvation. He commands us, in fact, to believe in him and follow him in obedience. And then he gave the disciples the authority to preach this good news after he had ascended into heaven. So the commandment that Peter's referring to is Jesus' commandment to repent and believe in him. So that's first and foremost something that we are to remember, Jesus' commandment to repent and believe. But what about these predictions of the holy prophets? Well, this actually probably includes a lot of things. Uh, there, are, there are many uh, books in the Bible, prophets, that probably you all think of when you think of the prophets, some of the big ones being like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, but this could actually include the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures, even things like the writings of Moses or, uh, or the law. All throughout the Old Testament, we see prophecy and prediction. We see predictions of the coming Messiah. We see predictions of who he would be and where he would come from. And even the coming day of the Lord, we see that a lot. So the question would be, why would Peter encourage his readers to remember these predictions from the Old Testament and the command to repent and believe? These seem like pretty important things, pretty important concepts. So why would we need to be told to remember them? Was well, anybody in here forgotten to do anything really important? Am I the only one? No one else forgets? <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, ever forgotten maybe someone's birthday or someone's anniversary? Maybe your own, perhaps? <laughs> uh, to do an assignment if you've got a due date if you're anything like me you forget things all the time and we have so many things to remember each day that we can very easily forget even the most important things and if that's true if we can forget all of these important things how quickly do you think we can forget these deep important theological truths and so we have to challenge ourselves daily to remember the truths of the gospel because we can so easily forget the busyness of our daily lives by itself can be enough to lead us to forget the truth of the gospel. But then Peter gives an even more important reason <clears throat> as we are to, to continually remember and trust the truth. Uh, so this is verses 3 and 4 of Second Peter once again. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Peter was probably writing this only about 30 years after Jesus had resurrected and ascended into heaven. At this time, there were people who were doubting that he would ever return. Peter's writing about people who make fun of Christians, the people believing that Jesus would return. They're saying, where is he? If this Jesus is so great, is supposed to come again and establish his kingdom, where is he? Don't you think he would have been here by now if he was going to come back? Your God isn't real. Your gospel isn't real. And that was true only 30 years after Jesus left the earth. We live in a time 2,000 years after that. If that was true then, how true is that in our world today? Today, around every corner, we have people who are unbelievers who would frankly spit in the face of Bible-believing Christians. They'd call us fools. They would give every reason they could to try to say that the Bible isn't true. 
And maybe some of you have experienced this. We live in a world that is very antagonistic toward the gospel. In our jobs, in our schools, sometimes even in our own homes, we encounter people who don't believe. Maybe some of you have been ridiculed for believing the Bible. Maybe some of you have experienced doubt. Maybe some of these people have tried to convince you that the Bible isn't true and that's led you to question. And this is exactly why Peter tells us that we have to remember. There are many people who will try to convince us that the gospel isn't true. And in order to combat that, we have to remember. We have to remember that Jesus is Lord. And we have to remember that one day indeed he is coming again. But I do believe that an important question is why should we believe that? Why should we believe that? What reason has the Bible really given us to trust that what Jesus says is true? Well, thankfully, Peter addresses this too. He tells us to remember the predictions of the Holy Prophets. The Old Testament is filled with prophecy that shows us without a doubt that Jesus is the promised Messiah. It's all over the Old Testament. There are many examples, um, but just for today, let me give you a few for us to look at. Uh, Isaiah 53, it's a great passage. Many of you probably know it. It's often called the suffering servant passage. Let's just look at a few verses from this and and see how it describes Jesus. Starting in verse 2, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Many of the Jewish leaders in Jesus' times didn't, didn't accept him because they expected him to be this great and mighty leader that would come and overthrow the government and liberate them. And the Lord will indeed come in such a way in his second coming. But their beliefs missed passages like this that showed what he would be like when he came to the earth. It says he had no former majesty that we should look at him, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is not the picture of someone who was meant to bust down walls. This is someone gentle and lowly. And what's important is that this was prophesied of him long before he came. The scriptures speak to who he was supposed to be, and he fulfilled them. Another example, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, another well-known passage. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. As, of course, many of you know, Jesus was born of a virgin, which should be impossible. It's never happened before. It's never happened since. How does it happen? God's divine intervention. That's the only way it could happen. And what's interesting is that that was prophesied before he came. We knew that's what was going to happen. Daniel 7, another great passage, verses 13 and 14. This time we're talking about his second coming. Here's what it says. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is about Jesus' second coming. And this we have not seen happen yet. 
And this is what the scoffers doubt when they say, where's the promise of his coming? But we have every reason to trust that this is true because the rest of the scriptures have already proven true. The rest of the prophecies that have been fulfilled speak to the ones that have yet to be fulfilled. We can trust them. And this is what Peter is encouraging us to do. He encourages us to remember what the scriptures have already taught us <clears throat> so that we can look toward his coming with confidence. There are many more examples of these prophecies throughout scripture, and, and I would encourage you all in your own time to look for them. Because if you spend time studying and looking for how all the ways that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, you really will be amazed. There's so much in scripture that can give us confidence to bolster our faith, which will equip us to defend ourselves from the scoffers. So as we seek to live with our mindset on eternity, we must first remember and continually remind ourselves of the truth. So he also teaches us uh, to expectantly wait. And this is going to be our second point. Anybody besides me struggle with patience at all? Anybody find it difficult to wait on the things that we want? Sometimes I feel like our lives can be really one big waiting game. You know, I mentioned earlier that uh, when I was young, I didn't really feel like the life was short and it was very long and I had to wait on the next year and the next year and the next year and the next, the next year. <clears throat> and I mentioned that things changed when I became an adult, but it didn't eliminate that. There's, there's still waiting at every single point of our lives. When I was in college, I had to wait four years to graduate from college. And when I was in grad school, I had to wait another three years to graduate from grad school so that I could work. Uh, now, as many of you know, my, my wife and I just had a baby, praise the Lord. Huge blessing. We had to wait a very long pregnancy, which I promise was three times longer than the rest of y'all's pregnancies. <laughs> it was a very long wait. And now we're still waiting for the day that we get a good night's sleep. We're still waiting on that. We don't know when it's coming, but we're looking ahead. We're waiting on it. No matter where we are in our lives, we're waiting for something. And I think part of this is because our, our minds tend to lean in that direction. We have a tendency to look at the things that we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. And if that's true in our regular lives, how much more so is that, is that true for our waiting on the Lord's coming? <clears throat> like we talked about before, <coughs> Excuse me. It was only 30 years after Christ left the earth that Peter was writing this. And people were wondering how long they'd have to wait for him then. People doubted his return at that time. And we're still waiting. We're still waiting. 2,000 years later. But Peter shows us that God relates to time differently than we do. Now look at verses 8 and 9 of 2 Peter 3. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It says that to God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. <clears throat> God is an eternal being. He has no beginning or end. He exists outside of time, because he's not bound by time, he created it. To God, who's an eternal being, even 2,000 years, it's a breath, it's nothing. And this is why when Jesus tells us that he's coming soon, that we know that that's still true. To God, thousands of years are like no time at all. From an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective, our lives don't even register. 
when it comes to eternity. And that's what I believe Peter is encouraging us toward, a shift in our mindset. He says, the Lord is not slow <clears throat> to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's showing us that God is not slow, he's patient. He desires to see all come to know him. And he's patient in allowing many more people to have their opportunity to repent and believe in him. <clears throat> I know for me, I think it's easy for us to see God as working his plan slowly and to sometimes be frustrated or discouraged by that. But again, the truth is not that God is slow, but that he's patient. In our many flaws, God is patient with us as he works on our hearts to draw us closer to him and more like him. In our sin, we often struggle with obedience and our faithfulness to him. But the Lord is patient, and he continually calls us to repentance, to turn away from our sin. But interestingly, he's not just patient with believers. He's also patient with those who don't know him. And it seems that Peter seems to be suggesting <clears throat> that this may be the reason that Jesus has not yet come. He's not slow to come back. Rather, he's patient to allow us to come to know him. He's allowing us that opportunity. And maybe that's some of you today. There may be some of you out there who maybe have not truly repented of your sin and come to know Christ. If that's you, there's good news. There's still time. He's patient toward you. He doesn't desire that you perish, but that you would come to repentance. And he's given you that opportunity today. If you don't know the Lord, he's giving you that opportunity to trust him today. Jesus tells us that he stands at the door and knocks. He's patient toward you as waiting for you to open the door and invite him into your life. And if that's you and you want to respond to God's call to know him, please come talk to us. You can talk to me, you can talk to one of our elders, Pastor Wes, Dr. David, Jim, Caleb. If you feel the Lord pulling on your heart, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Because the truth is, Although the Lord is patient, he's only going to wait so long. Look at verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The Lord is coming. And we don't know when he's going to come. It says that he will come like a thief, meaning that he'll come quickly when we don't expect it. And when that day comes, our works will be exposed. At that time, it will be too late. So the Lord is calling us to expectantly wait on his coming. <clears throat> Verses 11 and 13 say this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter uses a really interesting phrase in verse 12. He says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. This is interesting. What does this mean? How can we hasten the coming of the day of God? Or in other words, how can we make it come any faster? Well, of course, the Lord is sovereign and in control of how history progresses, so we can't literally make it come any faster. But there are some things we can do. 
This phrase, to wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God, seems to suggest it's not like a passive waiting, but an, an active expectation or a looking forward to. And Jesus himself talks about this and gives kind of a clear example of what this looks like, how we can expectantly wait for him. Listen to what he says in Matthew 24, this is verses 36 to 51. This is Jesus talking. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is telling us here to expectantly wait on his coming. He gives an example of someone thinking his master is not coming back for a long time and takes the opportunity to live sinfully. Uh, it's very similar for you teenagers out there, or maybe you adults who remember being a teenager. <clears throat> it's very similar to if you use an opportunity to throw a party when your parents aren't home. But then they come back when you're not ready for them to come back, earlier than you thought. And then you get in a lot of trouble. Only this time, the consequences are a lot worse than that. So we're called to stay awake and pay attention. And I believe this is at, what, at the heart of what Peter is teaching us when he tells us to wait and hasten the coming of the day of God. We don't just sit and do nothing. We actively look for his return and walk in obedience. Peter is encouraging us to wait patiently and use the opportunity to live in a very specific way, in a way that is honoring to the Lord. <clears throat> and this brings us to our last point. As we wait on the Lord, he's calling us to diligently grow, diligently grow. Look at verse 14. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This language he uses, without spot or blemish, it means to be untainted in character and without defect. It's interesting, it's actually the same kind of language that's found in the old sacrificial system in the Old Testament. So, for example, when there was a sacrifice uh, for forgiveness of sin, they were to present an animal without blemish. Uh, one example of this is Leviticus 4, 32. It says, if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Well, unfortunately, this is not true of us, is it? We have plenty of spots and blemishes on us, and we will only continue to accumulate those throughout our lives. So what could he be talking about here? Well, thankfully, there is one who is without spot or blemish, Jesus himself. 
Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 tells us, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We cannot ever be without spot or blemish on our own. But through Christ, we're already perfect and blameless. His blood and sacrifice covers us in a way that nothing else can. So then if Christ has already covered us, still, what does it mean for us to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish? He's already covered us. What, is, what are we to do? <clears throat> well, first it means to constantly look to Christ as our atoning sacrifice and once again remember that he is the one that makes us new. <clears throat> we ought to always remember that it's only through Christ that we're right with God, but it's something we can never forget. But I also think that this Hebrews passage sheds some light on what practically living without blemish looks like. It says that the blood of Christ purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Apart from Christ, all our actions are void of true purpose and meaning. They're always going to be for the wrong motivations. And they'll ultimately lead us nowhere except to destruction. But Christ purifies our conscience so that we can serve the living God. And this is what it looks like to live without spot or blemish. We are continually looking for ways that we can serve the living God and become more like Christ. And the Spirit equips us to do this, to become more like Christ. He changes our hearts and our actions. Uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 24 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, <coughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to live without blemish is to live by the Spirit. The Spirit equips us to love others, to be patient with others, have self-control, to be gentle, to be kind. The Spirit gives us joy and peace. And this only happens through relationship with Christ. So Peter is encouraging us to continually remember that Christ has purified us through his sacrifice and continually seek to live more like Christ. But then interestingly, he also gives us a warning later in the passage. Look at verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in none of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> there are some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away uh, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So he's telling us about people who twist the scriptures to their own destruction. They take the scriptures to mean whatever they want them to mean. And they live their lives according to what they already believe or what they want to believe. This happens all the time in our world. People take the Bible and scriptures, uh, verses out of context, not having a true understanding of the text, in order to push their own messages. And there are many people who buy into this, buy into these ideas. There are churches that are centered around these ideas. And Peter's telling us to not fall victim to it. In fact, he tells us that we should already know about this. And we should use that knowledge to stay strong. He says, knowing this beforehand, 
take care that you're not carried away and lose your own stability. We have stability in Christ. Jesus tells us that everyone who hears his words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is our rock. He is our stability. And Peter's telling us that we need to lean on our rock in the midst of a world <clears throat> that would lead us astray. Because if we don't, we can very easily be carried away. So finally, in verse 18, Peter tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this, I believe, is at the heart of what it looks like to live in light of eternity. This is it. To grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. This is another really interesting phrase. Because I think many of us would be able to say readily what it means to grow in knowledge, you know, to learn and gain more understanding. But what does it mean to grow in grace? How do we grow in grace? Grace is something that's given to us. It's a gift. It's being given something that we don't deserve. Jesus has freely given us his grace as sinners in need of a savior. It's not something we can ever earn. And therefore, we certainly can't make more of it or make it grow. The grace we're given has nothing to do with our works or our actions. <clears throat> so how do we grow in grace? Well, at the beginning of the same letter, 2 Peter, he actually makes a similar statement. Uh, this is chapter 1, verse 2 of 2 Peter. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he draws a connection between the knowledge of God and grace and peace being multiplied. So the knowledge of God is clearly doing something to us. It's not that our knowledge of God makes God's grace any greater, but rather it makes our experience of God's grace greater. I don't know about you, but I know for me, the more I read the scriptures, the more love for God I feel. His word has such a depth and a beauty that I think that we won't even get close to giving, understanding all of it in our lifetimes. The more we read God's word, the more he reveals himself to us, the more we see how loving and gracious our God is, the more we see just how broken and sinful we are. The more we commune with him by reading and praying, the more we will understand, experience, and feel the depths of God's grace for us. And this is how we live in light of eternity. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. By knowing God more deeply, we become more connected to him and we become more like him. This is not the very reason that we were made. We were made for intimate relationship with God. We were made to know him. And we were made to glorify him. And we do that by growing in knowledge of him through his word. And this will only grow more and more of our love for Jesus. So, as we continually remember his promises and expectantly wait on his coming to bring us home, let us all grow in the grace and knowledge our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your incredible goodness to us. God, we know that this life is short. We know that every moment is precious. And when we have our mindset on you and set on eternity, we can see that every single day has a weight and a gravity that we should not waste. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that each and every day. We pray that you would help us to remember your truth, to remember that you are Lord, to remember that you are coming again. 
And then we pray, Lord, that you would use that to give us a confidence in who you are and to be patient and waiting for you, Lord. We know that you have a purpose for us here, that you have given us this time to use to glorify you. We pray that you would lead us to first and foremost spend time in your word because we cannot grow with you if we don't take the time to spend time in your word. We pray that you would motivate us and drive us and remind us of our need for that. Give us a desire for you to know you. And I pray, Lord, that you would use that to grow us into more of your image so that we can serve you. God, we pray that you would be with us now as we continue to worship. And may you be glorified in our worship. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.